1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. From Standing on the beach in Cadiz, Goya replayed the moments of a rare, but increasingly less rare, good day. The smell of the ocean salts and seaweed filled his nostrils. An ending glittering and gray ocean filled his periphery. Smaller crystalline waves crashed into the foreground, breaking into shards upon impact. A sound that was so unmistakable and so familiar landed silently, now lost in a vacuum. Turning his back to the sea, sand condenses and sinks moments before granules scatter beneath his steps, which gradually become solid as he heads towards the city, passing watchtowers turned silhouettes against a blistering pink skyline. Goya's career had risen to such heights just a few years prior to the setback. He could no longer hear, but he still had his vision, and importantly, his imagination. That no king, no god, no war, no illness was going to stop him from pursuing. That, that was beautiful, Stephanie. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you, well. um, welcome to Art Slice, a podcastable mm. and now YouTubeable serving of art history. That's Stephanie Duenas. I'm Russell Shoemaker. This is Dot Matrix AI Brian. Still do, we're still doing yeah. this. Okay. Uh, he's, we're, I'm augmented now, Stephanie. I have to have him around all the time. You know this. Okay. Welcome back to our podcast where we discuss various works of art and their historical significance. Today, we are concluding our discussion of Francisco de Goya's series of 80 aquatint and etched prints called Los Caprichos mm. created from 1797 to 1798 as we discussed in our last episode De Goya, famous Spanish painter and master of satire and social commentary went deaf later in his life due to an illness the exact nature of his illness is not known with certainty. That's right. Goya's deafness had a profound impact on his life and art. <laughs> he was forced to commune through writing, communicate through writing. Oh, the paper jam, man. And became increasingly isolated, which is reflected in some of his later works. He 
he's still he's still learning stuff. Uh, okay. Look, we'll get this right one day. Yes, co-host, that is right. But did you know mm. that there is some speculation Goya may have suffered from mental illness, particularly in his later years? Okay. Yes, I remember hearing something about that. But it's important to note that he was never officially diagnosed. It is also worth considering that, oh no, the understanding and diagnoses of mental illness in Goya's age was very different from what we know today. Which brings us to our sponsor. I didn't realize we had a sponsor. Which brings us to our sponsor today. Great AI systems. Connecting you to AI therapists to help you along the road. A self-exploration. Use this offer code our slice for 20% off of your first session. Okay. Despite these struggles, he continued to create some of his most powerful and innovative mm. paintings, demonstrating remarkable resilience and creativity, and mastery of satire and social commentary. And that's all for us today. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we discuss another work of art and its historical significance. Please consider joining our our, pa our Patreon at patreon.com slash art slice pod. That was weird, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So maybe we should say a little um, more than that if you're okay with that. Are you okay with that, Dot Matrix AI, Brian? Okay, thank right. you, thank you. Just be all ears if, if you if you have them, I think you do. There is a general reputation that comes along with Goya that's not at all holistic and it really leans on assumptions. Mm. His life's account is varied and spotty and there is not much of his personal writings remaining. So maybe historians are kind of filling in the cracks or, or they just prefer the saucier, sexier narrative of the crazy deaf artist. I think they want that that Van that Van Gogh, Van Gogh <laughs> level of Jesus. lore. Sorry, I said Van, yeah. I said Van Gogh once, and I got chewed out on a Is it TikTok? TikTok or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's um, like a Dracula. I want to look at Van Gogh. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Um, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. So speaking of disturbing, um, Goya did make some very disturbing works. He was coming to terms with a new and sudden disability. Mm. Due to his position as a royal court painter, he had access to the absolute best treatments in the country, mm. but nothing could bring his hearing back. At the very least, in the 18th century, this would make you anxious as fuck. Right. You can't just text someone. You got to write it out. This is the analog era. Okay, okay. <laughs> Doctors have uh, recently blown the dust off of the old Goya files, ruling out infections like meningitis, which have entirely different onsets in which he wouldn't have likely survived. They ruled out lead poisoning, and they think a rare autoimmune disorder might have been the culprit. It shares a lot of symptoms with Susak's syndrome, which 
could clear up on its own within several years, and it fits the timeline of Goya's slow recovery. Either way, the illness took his hearing permanently. Goya had to learn how to sign, Mm. and recently, very recently, they have realized Mm. that what they thought to be (laughs) some basic hand-study etchings were actually him depicting fingerspelling like Martin Wong. Throwback to our second episode as well as a recent Patreon episode. He even etched the uh, the little motion lines mm-hmm. for the for the finger spelling. <laughs> trying to do a couple of these. Yeah. This one this one's tough. Okay. I don't know what this is exactly. This one's easy. I know this one. No. I kn- <laughs> anyway. Okay. So did he go mad? Mm. No. He actually is described as having bursts of creativity even during his slow recovery. Did Goya's work get all weird, dark, and depressive? (laughs) See. But his disability is only one small part of the equation. His environment was also key. Goya had been witnessing this developing storm. Spain is this collapsing world power, but we have a savior and he's hip, he's cool. He's enlightened King Carlos III, who shifted the country away from its perceived Eurobilliness, away from the control of the Roman Catholic Church and into the age of the Enlightenment. Goya, who was pro-Enlightenment, saw this as a step in the right direction, but importantly, only a step. Right, but there was a clash because we also have a rejection of these imported ideas he brought with him, which the Spanish people, the Majos, saw as reeking of highfalutin Frenchness. They were the opposite of the Spock-like enlightenment. They embraced the the messy, sticky humanness, right? And it's important to note the upper classes were the ones who embraced the shift towards the enlightenment, at, at least on paper, right? The changes were so slow that they actually did very little to change the everyday lives of the Majos. Also, hang in there, listeners, Most Spaniards were still Catholic, and even though King Carlos III did his best to reduce the R.C. Square's influence, they were still holding onto the power over people's minds. So this is a messy soap soap opera of superpowers uh, flexing their their slowly deflating muscles on on daytime television, kind of like or those like floaty things that the little clear nipple things that you had to blow into. (laughs) Remember those? You had to blow. Well, they're kind of they're nipple shapes. They're blowing whatever last grasp of air okay. that they have, any last grasp of, of, of life that they had into, into those, those, those nipple, clear nipples. Okay, well, there is something left to um, deflate because in 1789, he's hip, he's cool, he's enlightened. Carlos III is now R.I.P. He, he died, yeah. guys. And oops, oopsies, he didn't install a democracy, so his not at all cool, not at all hip, not at all enlightened, and not at all interested in becoming a king, son Carlos IV, becomes King Carlos IV. Right, basically, he liked to hunt. He liked hunting and, mm-hmm. and uh, admiring Palele on those tapestry walls ever since he was uh, a child because he grew up with Palele. Okay. He comes out during his um, his um, awakening, Stephanie, his, 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 his hormonal awakening, let's his say. His spring awakening. Yeah, and he, his spring awakening, yes. His rights of spring. He likes how free he is. <laughs> Nobody's telling him what to do. Yeah, exactly. He's just, around He's just bouncing. Like... His whole life was, was restriction. Right. But then there's Palele on those walls. There you he know? is. He did allow his not-so-enlightened wife and her not-so-enlightened and not-so-secret lover to call the shots okay. so he's off the hook, right? Because he wanted to go hunting. Yeah. By out hunting, you mean he's bouncing on a makeshift trampoline in the forest with his true love, El Palele. <laughs> Holding his okay. straw body. Okay. So soft. 
It's very giving. It's, it's oh, kind no. of supportive, you know. Still, like okay. you could, you'd rest your your head upon his chest. Oh and his king, the king's men are just kind of like they're holding the trampoline, the makeshift trampoline, but they're also like, yeah, they're not. They're averting their gaze. <laughs> They don't want to get into it. They're just like, yeah, it's some, it's weird. So anyway, while all this is happening, France, their enlightened neighborinos, will mm. execute King Carlos IV's bourbon cousin, Louis the Sixteenth. Is he the one with two assholes? <laughs> no. The one who had a second asshole. That was his grandpa. Okay, just want to make sure. Obviously. One, so one grandpa. asshole, Louis the Fourteenth. Hopefully, we think. You and all asshole. the powers that still remain. <laughs> Uni asshole. <laughs> Regular, <laughs> regular amount of assholes, Louis the Fourteenth. The powers that still remained in France will twist that revolutionary enlightenment energy that was so good for the French people into a hyper nationalistic Napoleon, a complex. Mm. See what I did there? I did. Yeah. He, had, he had a fistula. Okay, it's not. We're, just, we're not just being Randy here. He had a fistula. He had a fistula, he had surgery, then he ended up with two assholes. Okay. While nothing has happened yet, there is definite tension seeping in from the French border at this point. So when Goya does eventually recover to the point that he can resume his work as a royal court painter, he enters with an entirely new perspective. There's a shift in his beliefs, all that satirizing and social commentarying that has been percolating is about to boil over. Adios, Spanish Norman Rockwell. Finally, finally we welcome the dark Gary Larson. I still don't know who that is. Norman Rockwell was an American painter and illustrator known for his heartwarming and nostalgic depictions of everyday American life. He was born on February 3rd, 1894 in New York City, New York City, and he died on November 8th, 1970. This time of recovery was a wake-up call for Goya, enlightened, forward-thinking, and very recently considered one of Spain's greatest painters. But then his own body and mind betray him. <laughs> when he did pick up paintbrushes again, he made much smaller works with finally a noticeable shift towards the critical. These were the dark side of his royal tapestries and portraits, <laughs> the, the dark Gary Larson. And not just in content, but also actually in tone. Those tapestries, they were bright and colorful. These works are, are smaller and dark and lower in contrast. We're talking way more ominous than even Caravaggio, whose figures were always illuminated in warm spotlights. And importantly, unlike his past work, these were not commissions, right, that, that we know of. He felt compelled to make these. They're also super direct. Like, he hasn't quite melded the critical with the satirical yet, but he's going to figure it out a few years later, to the point that it went undetected in his first major royal commission post-recovery. The infamous portrait of La Familia de Carlos IV. <laughs> <laughs> i.e. King Carlos IV's Familia. 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 Uh, familia. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> a lot of historians over the decades have commented on the starkness with which Goya painted the royal family. Some go... <laughs> some... Oh, listeners, a little peek behind the screen. Stephanie accidentally said, some going as fart as to say. Just a second ago, so we had to rewind it. Se llaman giggles. Okay. <laughs> We have those giggles. Okay. Some going as far as to say this is intentional on Goya's part, which just isn't the case at all. No. 
Goya would have been in some deep shit if he had done that. But they're right to say there is no grandeur here. The family looks painfully human. Other than the uh, the gold and diamond encrusted clothing that they right. I just, I guess, waddle around in, trying not to cut <laughs> themselves on. It's kind of like Arrested <laughs> Development, right? Like they're wealthy, but esa familia yeah. gives dysfunctional, which is not the kind of king treatment that one would expect. Goya is painting them as they are. Grams doesn't have her large birthmark painted out. King Carlos IV is not very kingly. Mm. He is not the focal point. He's doing that slightly bug-eyed thing people do when they're they're not really there, like they're lost in thought, their brain is elsewhere. Uh-huh. He's thinking about, let's be honest, he's, lo- <laughs> he's longing for Pelele. <laughs> and there is this creeping shadow spilling in, partially covering the, the future king the, and giant asshole, but one asshole, <laughs> 37, which is just amazing. Like, it's a strange choice. Mm-hmm. What Goya might have gotten away with, though, is cloaked within the shadowy background. It's a painting within a painting veiled in thin layers of that, of that dark, dark oil paint. It's a painting of Lot and his daughters. For those of you who don't know the story, godly man Lot escapes God's total destruction of Sodom with his family of disobedient ladies. Yeah, he's remodeling Sodom, okay? He, <laughs> he wants less gays, yeah. he wants more obedient women, and he wants an open space floor plan. <laughs> So Lot first offers his virgin daughters up to these sinners, Mm. but they don't want no ladies. And then Lot's good daughter, who has no name, is eaten alive by bees. Like you you are. But it's my girl. I don't know if you can do that. Anyway. Talking about my my girl. girl. My My girl. girl. Lot's disobedient wife, also given no name, is turned into a big pile of salt. Hopefully, uh, hopefully a, uh, a smoked Himalayan. Ooh. Something nice. <laughs> the last two daughters standing, also nameless, mm. they get baby fever from all of this death and destruction. They're so overtaken <laughs> with this apocalyptic baby fever that they decide to get their elderly father, Lot, blackout drunk. Okay. And they both conceive a child immediately, <laughs> spawning these incestuous nations. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's old. He's very old in the Bible. He's not going to have the stamina to get uh, two of his daughters, let alone one of his daughters, pregnant, I would think. That's how you know this is some old man's, like, dirty, erotic scroll fic that they just found <laughs> in some cave, some dirty cave, some sticky cave. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and decided to put it in Genesis. Uh, Goya, in all his Momus troll glory, mm-hmm. is pointing out the incestuous and dysfunctional nature of monarchies. Right. Another big step for Goya were... My favorite paintings by Goya, so by far. Right. They are a <laughs> series of works that were either purchased shortly after their creation or, and the details are fuzzy, they may have been directly commissioned by the Duchess of Osuna okay. of Bejeweled Got that nipple dress fame. (laughs) (laughs) I told you she had a taboo side. Yeah, taboo. taboo. (laughs) The Duchess hung these in her country palace named El Capricho. Ooh, like Los Capritos. That is likely no accident. These would have been completed right before Goya began Los Caprichos. Of the six works, we could only find four. There is a grainy black and white photo of the fifth floating around the internet, which means number five and number six are like stored away in some fail sons, like country palace wine cellar. The four we do have are doozies and they deserve a bit of a trigger warning. Okay. All right. But honestly, so does all of right. Los Caprichos. Yeah. Pretty much every 
every image of Oscar Bridges. So if you're not into gruesome, ghoulsome imagery, mm. now is the time to skedaddle. Sure. Get on right? get on out of here. Skedaddle. Skedaddle. The remaining get on. Get on get. The remaining paintings, and we're only going to talk about three of them. The Witch's Sabbath, The Spell, and Witches in Flight. They are all dated to around 1799. They are all oil and metal as fuck on canvas. These paintings were inspired by documented eyewitness accounts used in a Basque witch trial from 1610. Witches of all genders blood related or not Ooh. were alleged to have had, <laughs> were alleged to have had sexual orgies with el diablo who manifested as a he goat no issues no issues right. go on and as a fuel mm. for i guess said orgy everyone would feast on baby brains and baby blood it's not look <laughs> it sounds gross it's a very effective nootropic listeners <laughs> if you find this to be gruesome don't worry I will be the first to admit that I am not convinced that any of this happened. Yeah, Goya is speaking in uh, satire and analogy. As far as what allegedly transpired in the wilderness, I think accusers got carried away mm -hmm. in a game of telephone or maybe had some uh, sus champiñones al ajillo. <laughs> Even the Spanish Inquisition took a relatively light hand to witches who confessed to the allegations and out of the 7,000 accused from this trial, only 11 were ever sentenced to death. Mm. That's eight less than the Salem witch trials. Okay, okay. So let's talk about the witches' Sabbath first. We do need to say that the way witches are historically depicted comes from a long history of anti-Semitic tropes. Goya was not using witches in this way. So it's dawn or sunrise. We are out in a in a in a golden deserty mountain area. The overcast sky has pink sun streaks in the subsurface scattering. Bats are flying in from the distance, late to the orgy, late to the orgy. But they get kind of like an aerial view. You know what's going on. They get to see where they want to land exactly. They get to see the hot spots. Oh my god! Okay, and a crescent moon is peeking out from behind the clouds, anchoring the composition in the top left hand corner. We have some peach-toned uh, groupies surrounding the tall, dark, and handsome he-goat. The he-goat does have said seductive, wide-set red eyes. The pupils are, are round instead of rectangular, so it's not entirely accurate. Goya also decided to paint this goat with a crown of laurels like Dionysus, the sex god, would wear. <laughs> not that this handsome goat needed it right, at all. Right, yeah. um, the it does look nice, though, on his horns. It is nice. Yeah. It's a nice touch. So the peach groupies, the women, are not your idealized art history muses. Yeah, some look like their faces have been given like the once over zigzag with the Photoshop <laughs> smudge filter. Yes. You're just like, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> so they are presenting him with offerings of babies, either alive or let's just say life depleted. Yeah, that's how you get the uh, the nootropic out. It's like a Capri Sun when all the you know, juice is gone. You suck <laughs> it all up. No. <laughs> oh, you ruined them. Uh, now it gets to the church. <laughs> Instead of taking their babies to get sprinkled in holy water, they are taking them to become the unholy juice, whatever Capri Sun is made out of, is, un is an unholy juice. Chemicals. Yeah. Unknown ingredients. Other ingredients. <laughs> All right. And those babies seem to be snacks in the next painting, okay. which is the spell. We have a kind of nighttime beach picnic scene. Mm. Got babies in baskets. 
Peachy groupies have now become old ladies with exaggerated, gnarled faces. Like a mask you'd buy at a spirit Halloween shop. <laughs> oh my god! The brick and exactly. yeah, because brick it. and mortar stores are that's now that's scary. <laughs> and that okay. Right. All right. So those ladies are now shrouded in black and they are creeping up on two innocent bystanders. Mm. There are owls and ghostly apparitions flocking above them, Mm -hmm. handing them a big whistle, a big bone. Yeah. 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 Like, I don't condone drinking babies like Capri Suns. uh, (laughs) But if you do, you know, use all the baby. So save the baby bones, make a baby witch's bone broth. Right. (laughs) Put it in the freezer. And finally, we have (laughs) flying witches who are floating in pitch darkness. Mm. There are tres broomless male witches, okay, in matching culottes Mm. and conical hats, similar (laughs) to either the dunce hats that the Spanish Uh. Inquisition made the accused wear during trials or a pope hat. It's kind of Mm. weird that they would be so similar. And while floating, the three witches are holding up a man who is either flailing in horror or ecstasy. Mm. <laughs> it's hard to tell what they are doing to him here. Uh, I think they were blowing little raspberries on his tummy tum. <laughs> no. They're taking turns. <laughs> they could also be sucking his blood. No, that's definitely, that's a that's a tummy raspberry right that's there. That's a raspberry yeah. situation. <laughs> it's pretty clear from this angle. I don't know what angle you're looking at it from. <laughs> All right. So there are two figures below them. One is on the ground covering his ears. Yeah, because of the, the <laughs> sound of the raspberries. <laughs> the raspberry citrus. Yeah, much. confirmed. <laughs> All right. And the other figure has a sheet over his cabeza, but not like a mantilla. And he's making the fig sign to ward off evil. Right. And then off to the side, there is an ass. 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 As in donkey. <laughs> Which we will see plenty of ass in the other painting from the series, The Bewitched Man. And we see even more in Los Caprichos. It kind of becomes a favorite animal of Goya's. Yeah, Goya was an ass man. (laughs) And while this imagery is weirdly dark and comical, you can feel Goya finally exhale here. He seems excited to be making these (laughs) in a way that's just different from his past work. The paint just kind of has that locked in obsessive rhythm to it. Yeah, they look timeless as Fresh as something painted today in both the subject and how he is handling the paint. In the sexy goat man painting with the, <laughs> with the horseshoe smile, there is this simple Payne's gray brushstroke over a glowing pastel moon, which is something we can go out and see in any night sky. So it doesn't seem like a big deal. But it shows this understanding that Goya had of, of complex storytelling just through brush marks and color. The gaggle of peach colored witches, for example, are just peach enough to glow in that moonlight without overpowering or blending in with the golden sand. And they don't have descriptive faces because they're not a focal point. Instead of painting this to look ultra realistic, he went for that uncanny mood. I was repulsed by these paintings at first because they are gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> but the luscious paint and the mesmerizing brushwork are just too good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it oscillates between grotesque and beautiful, like heavy and lights. There's so much going on in here. He let the underpainting shine through with wispy reddish pink traits of a sunrise behind cool silvery clouds. Ooh. It made me think of Mars and Hartley's nighttime beach paintings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Painted over a hundred years later, where red beams through cartoonish clouds mm. over crests of waves. So you might be wondering, listeners, 
why the hell would a duchess want these weird-ass paintings in her summer palace, right, right. right? Especially the dog one that we didn't talk about. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> oh what, you, is, what is going on there? Pluto will never look the same again to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the duchess, though, she was hip. She was cool. She was subversive. Okay. She supported social reforms, and she was obviously a patron of the arts. But she also had a saucier side. <laughs> she openly had other lovers, and she even had male escorts take her out and about on the town. And to top it all off, she dressed up like a Maha, just like we discussed in our Maha episode, mm. which was all controversial to say the least. She was someone that could have easily been accused of witchcraft-like behavior. So she understood the ridiculousness of these paintings and their political undertones, possibly seeing a bit of herself in the misunderstood and misaligned. Listeners, it's taken us a while. Long, long while. <laughs> but we are here. We have arrived at Los Caprichos, a massive collection of 80 highly detailed prints, <laughs> which Goya made using Aquatint. No. No. Oh my God, I forgot about them. No, no, no. We're doing no. video. No. Remember using and etching between 1797 and 1798 and published it as an album in 1799. Since there are so many prints all loaded with meaning and crammed into roughly 8 by 6 inch compositions, we do not want this to turn into a whole season of Goya. So we're going to talk about the prints we think best speak to the reoccurring themes. And we encourage you, dear ear buddies, to take a long look at them, all, all of them, over at artslicepod.com. Los caprichos can be easy to get at face value. Similar to those uh, Japanese ukiyo-e ghost stories we covered in episode 18, they're, they're spooky, <laughs> they're, they're funny, they're alluring, yeah. they're, they're folksy. <laughs> they're uh, also almost like a cheesy Halloween movie containing dark, <laughs> terrible truths within it. Right. Like I've been saying this entire time, I'm sorry if you're sick of hearing it, a darker <laughs> version of Gary Larson, the darkest strips within the the. Gary Larson averse. It's all meant to speak to the upper classes who were Enlightenment hip and some of Goya's little Mahomies, the regular Spanish people. Goya intended to sell these as prints, basically a book. He mm. took out an ad in the local paper and he described them as a collection of prints of capricious subjects. A little a little wink to uh to the razzing his subjects were <laughs> about to receive. Okay. Maybe the best way to understand the complexity of Los Caprichos is to first translate the title, okay. which can be understood as whimsy or whims. Basically, we are at the, <laughs> the whims of those in power. Picture madams, clergy members, demons, bootlickers, mm. basically anyone burdening others for their, for their own gain. All gleefully joyriding around in a digital Mr. Plow. Very fun, very Simpsons hit and run for those of you who had GameCubes. Rigged in their favor. 
One of the most prevalent reoccurring themes is the burden of the aristocrats' monarchy and church on the Spanish people. These were not democratically elected individuals. These were, like Goya may have alluded to in Carlos IV's portrait, incestuous and undeserving royals, the very few living off the backs of the very many. If that sounds familiar... Nod. It is. See. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we see this in number 77, unos a otros, meaning what one does to the other, where an older aristocrat <laughs> is hoisted by three minions. Yeah, they're NPCs. Yeah. Yeah. They're... <laughs> I don't know what that is. They're leaping ahead of a child in wearing... Yeah, the the kid, this this kid, this NPC kid, is dressed (laughs) as a little bug peanut. The aristocrat is on stilts, I guess, the... With a skull. He has a skull face, for some reason, a skully face. Uh, I don't understand this game. I don't know if you do, but I do not understand this game. no. No, it's some sort of 18th century children's game. Dear Ear Buddies, if you know, please let us know. Yeah, They, they kept themselves entertained differently back then. Also in number 42, tu que no puedes, mm. thou who cannot, is a shortened version of a popular saying at the time, quote, tu que no puedes, llévame a cuestas, end okay. quote, or you who can't, carry me on your back. Okay, that makes right sense. Here. Total sense. Yeah. <laughs> we see two little Mahomies in Mahomie apparel, pantalones mm. tucked into their high socks. Right. One of the men's high socks has has rolled down. Yeah, yeah. Very annoying. It's awful. A loose sock traveling down my leg (laughs) under my jeans where I can't get to it. That's awful. I hate that. I hate that. I hate the thought of that so much. That's the torture is (laughs) for all eternity. Your socks are just at your ankles. Just rolling down slowly. (laughs) Just loose. Awful. He probably wants to pull them up, but he can't because there's a giant ass. Ass. On his back. Ass. Ass. (laughs) However sturdy these Loma homies are, they are not as strong as these donkeys. Yeah, donkeys show up throughout the caprichos as incompetent teachers, students, royals, doctors. Basically, anywhere there is assery to be hattery. <laughs> it's there. It's like that. Okay. I love that. Okay. In number 41, mm. ni mas ni menos, neither more nor less, we have a sitting donkey posing, having its little portrait painted by a court-appointed painter monkey. Okay. Very, very cute little sitch. The monkey seems to be approving upon said donkey's appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Goya is that monkey, okay? Think about it. Weeks upon weeks painting people he probably wouldn't even want to spend 10 minutes with, right? Making them look better, kinder, and more prestigious than they actually were. Right. Okay, Stephanie, I'm going to do my best Khan Academy impression here. Okay. Um, Hold on. I I should, like, take a bite of a sandwich so I have lots of lip smacks, but (laughs) I'll do my best. We, the viewer, are watching in real time as legendary Spanish painter Francisco Goya, seen here depicted as a common household monkey, is being radicalized while staring into the vast emptiness <laughs> of this royal donkey's drool-covered maw. <laughs> Sorry, Khan okay. Academy, you are, you are a useful resource. Okay, <laughs> Obviously, Goya is, is speaking to the inequality that this privilege creates. And he's going even further and is saying that even with all this privilege, they're doing nothing with it. They're just undisciplined layabouts with like oatmeal for, bra- for brains, for ce- cerebellums. And, that's, and their brains are making kind of like that, that wee-wee sound in the cartoons. <laughs> 
me, 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 me. I guess it's more of a me, 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 me sound. Yeah. Uh, end quote. That's what he says. End quote. It's a Prado translation. That's a that's yeah. a rough translation. Right, right. But yes, yes. Blissfully ignorant. Asses to asses. Ass. Butts to butts. From asses. <laughs> asses. Okay, so... From asses, as in donkeys, to asses, mm. as in asses. As like in asses. Actual ass. ass. Yeah. This particular capricho was included in the fantastic art, data, and surrealism show that changed Dorothea Tanning's life back in episode 23, which is number 26. Mm. Ya tienen asiento. Now they are sitting well. Mm. We have two young women, young Mahas, not aristocrats, and they are depicted as women, not as ass donkeys, not yeah, as donkeys. Not as don- yeah. um, and they're having a seat. And by seat, we mean that they have placed upside down chairs on their cabezas, on their heads. Mm. Kind of like Doja Cat okay. that one time. Yeah. So their heads are covered in dresses which hang from said chair seats. Their heads peek out from the waistline. So it's a little... A little oh, makeshift yeah. mantilla. Mantilla. Right? Mantilla. Mantilla. Okay. Mantilla. So basically everything here is ass. Ass. Backwards. <laughs> so this is all a Spanish play on words. Okay. The word asiento can translate to both chair and sense. An ass. Asiento. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. That's great. So sense is in common sense. While the saying, sentar la cabeza, translates to seats Mm. one's head. It means to acquire some sense and moderation. So all of this suggests that these young ladies are thinking with their asses. Their asses, yeah. So this is is some like (laughs) Stewie Griffin level humor. Oh, yeah. He's smug and in the back with his friend Brian hanging out. His dog friend Brian (laughs) hanging out being smug. You know a lot about that. I'm a baby. Okay. You sound kind of like him, actually, a little bit. Ooh. All right. So Ooh, I got a weird head. I'm a baby. Football head. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm a baby, and I look like Hey Arnold. I have a dog <laughs> friend who see a red ring-a-ding-ding. And while one of these ladies is giving <laughs> yoga eyes and smile, the other one seems to be sitting bare ass, ass on some sort of stoop or box. Right. If it was a box... That shit would have been splinter central. Okay. Ouch. Right. Well, I mean, I think they probably sanded things. <laughs> Either way, yuck. Okay, so so behind them, because they're not alone in this composition, right. behind them, there are onlookers that are just laughing their asses off Ass, yeah. at their fashion choices. Right. They're not wearing they're not wearing <laughs> it right. Correct. That's why they think it's funny. Stupid. Yeah. Wearing their skirts different. Uh-huh. <laughs> Look at them. They can't get through that that nice Spanish doorway with the chair <laughs> on top of their heads. Idiots. Yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. Us, us Mahomies and uh, Stewie and, and um, the dog Brian think this is st- uh, stupid. This is below our, our sensibilities. <laughs> yes. Okay. Alrighty, so Brian, sing me that delightful <laughs> tune again. Okay. See, he's like a he's he's like he's like one of the Rat Pack. Brian is the dog. Spanish historians have suggested that many of the characters in Los Caprichos are very specific caricatures of important figures of the day, mm. like folks that he would want to criticize, right? Right. <laughs> and in number twenty nine, esto sí que es leer. That is certainly being able to read. We have. 
a duke mm-hmm. famous for reading while getting his hair done. Just how he likes it. Just how he likes it. <laughs> he's not he's not a donkey this time, no. but he does uh, have a giant head Big like the witch from, from Spirited Away. Like the witch yes. from Spirited Away. Yes. Oh, my God. So there, there are many interpretations of Goya's meanings here, but for me, there is this clear contrast between societal orders here mm-hmm. and how they are tethered to the actions of one another. The two lower class laborers are hidden, just barely visible in the shadows. They are fanning over this this miraculous man duke, this this duke man. Duke. Who, like poop? Yeah, because he's a <laughs> shitty person. Stewie's back again, y'all. Okay. Who is fully illuminated in the light. One is styling his hair. The other is either cleaning his shoes or or rubbing his feet as they clean him up to aristocratic standards Mm. to help him make sure he retains his membership to the, I guess, the golf club or whatever. Whatever Dookie is reading here is likely going to impact the lives of these workers. And by the way, he seems completely oblivious to their existence signals that it's not going to be for their benefit. Another work selected for the fantastic art, data, and surrealism show is Numero 50, mm-hmm. Los Chinchillas, uh, or the Chinchillas. Chinchillas. Yes, but we are sans chinchillas here, unfortunately. <laughs> um, that was just Goya referencing a popular play of a similar theme. Okay. okay? Instead, we have a return of asses, Ass, donkeys, yes. kind of, um, <laughs> because we have a man with fake donkey ears. Tied to his cabeza. Oh yeah, his like head. like uh, like Bernini. Yes, Bernini and, Bo- and Borromini. <laughs> yes, yes. Eeyaw. Good job. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Eeyaw here is is a wannabe. He's a, he's a bootlicker, a lick spittle, a musk sniffer. I looked those up. I thought the musk sniffer was uh, pretty accurate to today. So if he was a real royal, he would have actual donkey ears. If he buckles down and works hard, Stephanie, he could grow some ears. Right. He could grow those ears for real. <laughs> that fake-ass poser is feeding a man in a straitjacket with a spoon. And by fed, I mean he's violently jamming spoons into open bocas, into curse, open yeah. mouths. Right, right. Uh, the spoon looks empty, though. So my theory is he's, he's scooping out that brain juice, Stephanie, that delicious tamale. <laughs> Tamale. Tamale. Make a good soup. A lot of, a lot of brain juices yeah. in this one. So whatever this fake donkey is feeding <laughs> them or taking from their brains, it's sending them into a slumber mm. because another man, presumably just fed or brain scooped, Capri Sun, <laughs> is found slumped down at the bottom of the composition, mouth agape, yeah. eyes shut. Right. Both men have their heads clamped with some sort of padlock device. Mm-hmm. One has a sword, the other a rosary. And there's a coat of arms embroidered on said straight jackets. There is this like willing deception going on here. Like their ears and brains, whatever they are supposed to be, they're padlocked, right? But their eyes are closed willingly. Their eyes are not padlocked. They're not blindfolded. Mm-hmm. They're walking to this false donkey man, Eeyaw, with their mouths <laughs> open. They they either want so much for the worldview they favor to suit them, or they realize they have no power to change the world they live in. So they close their eyes, they open their mouths, and they take their medicine slash give their delicious tamale away. <laughs> On that note, this theme of willing deception of pretending Mm. also shows up in his many, many prints on either marriage or prostitution and the parallels between the two, especially in the transactional or arranged marriage, which was a common practice in Spain. King Carlos III had passed some laws to protect women, children and prostitutes, but it wasn't enough. Mm. 
Goya being an 18th century man, man, <laughs> man, hombre, could have been team sex work is bad. Mm-hmm. So people who do sex work are capricious. Yeah, low, some low-hanging fruits, some low-critical hanging fruits. Mm-hmm. I find these prints to be balanced, mm-hmm. okay? He acknowledges that women didn't have very many options when it came to earning a living. Mm-hmm. And his focus is instead the question of who is benefiting from your body. In Capriccio Número Dos, el si pronuncian y la mano alargan al primero que llega. They say yes and give their hand to the first comer. We see a young woman in the midst of being wedded away. One of her arms is behind her back, and she is being led by some very old... <laughs> like, like Crypt Keeper old. Like, no, old yeah. does not describe it. They are, they are falling apart. Their bodies are falling apart. They live in a dungeon. They're, their bed is a coffin. They're, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> they're the, the laugh, that laugh. The old. Yeah, the laugh, old. yeah. Um, so said crypt keeper is presumably um, part of her family right, or her right. parent. Some, some. But you know what? <laughs> Love the one you're with, right? That doesn't make sense for a family. But choose your family. <laughs> Correct. Even, um, if, if that's a crypt keeper, do it. Do you. Em- yeah. Embrace it. And the shadowy man in the shadows is taking her other mono, her hand. This must be the groom to be. The groom is is older than her. Not mm-hmm. quite a like spring winter thing, but absolutely like a spring fall thing. And he looks like the um the guy from the guy from the the arrow guy from the Marvel movie. Yeah. The one without any superpowers and just arrows. <laughs> Jeremy Renner? Sure. Jer- Jeremy Renner, sure. Why? I, I, he looks just like him. Look at him. Is Look it the face. nose and the white set eyes? It's, it's, it's the whole face situation. <laughs> the whole face situation looks like Jeremy okay. uh, Renner. <laughs> you know what? He's he's kind of a noble man. Okay. Okay. He shoots he, arrows, yeah. He saved... No. Well, maybe. So hold on. So he, he saved his nephew from a snowplow, like, back in January. Okay. He, like, jumped out of a car to, like... No, you're thinking of a movie. Save. No, it's real. He broke like 30 bones in his body or something. <laughs> I think that's why I like, faintly remember this. He's he had... thought he was the arrow guy. <laughs> He's like, I'm a super guy. I'm a super guy. I can stop that. I can just halt this 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 uh, snow plow. Sure. These arrows don't work, but my body, my body does. <laughs> Um, Wait, is he yeah. okay? I feel bad. Um, he's fine. Okay. He's learning how to walk again. Okay. So that's good. Um, <laughs> fine. <laughs> he's fine. Okay. Back to this composition with uh, Jeremy Renner lookalike. Mm. Everybody in this composition seems to be happy, very sweet, good vibes. Good vibes all happening. Around. And, and just like in Capriccio 2020, 20, 20, uh, Dos Cinco. Nueve. Nueve. Right. Nueve. That's right. Nueve. Okay. That's not egg. 20 egg. Two egg. <laughs> 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 and just like in Capriccio 29, he is using that aqua tint. No. Back it up. I have to stop. Back it up. I have to stop. To the, the, aqua tint, the aqua tint to push value and illuminate this bride, okay? <laughs> To accentuate her her figure, so we get the idea. J- Jeremy J- Jeremy Renner here is making a transaction right. for her figure. There are peasants watching, and they are shocked. Yeah, or <gasps> they couldn't care less. They could be okay? yawning too. It's like it's either a shock or a yawn. I can't tell. Picking their nose, like who fucking uh, snacking popcorn, <laughs> peanut shells. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> all right, but then you notice 
the bride, okay, she's not wearing one, but two masks, okay? Mm. The first one is your normal old standard mask, right, yep. covering the top of top half of your face. It's a very sort of Adam West era Batman yes. mask, <laughs> but it's got the drawn on eyebrows, presumably. <laughs> I love those. The second mask, though, is a grotesque, okay? It's <laughs> hidden behind her head. Right. Okay, so it looks like a mask from El Entierro de la Sardina oh, yeah. from part one. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so this suggests that this innocent bride-to-be is not so innocent, mm. okay? She is marrying into wealth or access, right? Her intents are not pure. <laughs> it's this idea that the mask reveals the true person inside and her, her true beauty is obscured so at any moment she could switch faces, switch personas, and then boom, you are married to that <laughs> the crypt keeper, right? With a... <laughs> With the hee hee laugh. <laughs> number 14, uh, Capriccio number 14 has a similar theme, but the bride's family is not stoked at the arranged marriage. And they are clearly a poorer family who has no choice but to move up in life via, I guess, like a, a wealthy groom's dowry. Capricho number 75, mm. no hay quien nos desate. Can't anyone <laughs> untie us? This is one of my favorites of the series, which is showing where any marriage, arranged or not, could land you. Tied to your SO, tied to a tree <laughs> with a gigantic but lovable doofusy owl perched atop of you, uh, top of you both. Both you. That's the voice he makes. Yeah, okay. That's all he does, Duke too. see owl voice. Yeah. There are more owls to come, but basically, you mm. could not escape a marriage in Catholic Spain. Who, 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 who wants to be divorced? <laughs> At least on paper. I don't see anyone. Right. <laughs> Which is why I guess we have I can big... see that rat in the field over there, but I don't see anyone here. I'm, I'm farsighted. Oh, is this a German <laughs> owl? <laughs> okay. My accents it. are limited. In Capriccio number 19... Mm. Todos caerán, all will fall. Mm. We have a busty young bird with a human head. Kind of kind of mid-morph. Oh my god. Mid-morph. Remember those books, those scholastic books, <laughs> yes. the anamorphs? Yes. The in-between. The in-between space. Yeah, I thought you were right. calling the bird mid. Like that bird well. is mid. <laughs> <laughs> she's mid. Okay. I mean, she's dude. I'm okay. fine with the top, but not the bottom. I don't know what I would do with the bottom. <laughs> It seems like it scratched me a lot. It's an awkward look. Okay. Yeah. All right. So right. all of that is illuminated in those aqua tint values. No. No. Uh, oh my God. No, no. Young busty ladybird is attracting not one groom, but many dude bird suitors all <laughs> flocking towards her. And the details here, listeners, are amazing. We we have a dudomorph who's giving a little <laughs> little like one up eyebrow, like eh, eh, eh. Side and she roll. is rolling her eyes. She is she is mid roll of eye, and she is <laughs> mid morph of body. And then we have a Tom DeLong comb over bird guy, kind of giving like a little smirky smile. You know, <laughs> he knows how much he just made from Ticketmaster. And then we have a Civil War reenactor yes. with some thick mutton chops. Yeah. <laughs> 
they're all flocking in to win the affection of this ladybird, right? Mm-hmm. But this is not a scene of bird love, is it, Stephanie? It is not. It is a scene of bird bait and switch. This bird gal is a sex worker, mm. okay? So if we scroll a bit lower to the bottom of the composition, we see said bird bait and switch. <laughs> An unlucky bird male suitor has been caught by two human sex workers and the madame. Bird boy is being plucked bare. Right. No more feathers, okay? Right. And he's bare about the bare bottom yep. chance. And he's about to be skewered. <laughs> Ouchies. It's not It's not a good day for Bird Boy. No I, would, you know, I actually can test that he is possibly seeing a sex worker here. This could be a very good day for <laughs> Bird Boy. This could be like what he saved up from his Christmas money for Bird Boy. This is exactly <laughs> this what, is he what he asked for. Can I have number three on the menu, please? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's good. Goya used this plucking not just to show a male suitor being plucked, like getting taken for his money, but he also used it to zoom out to the larger and more vicious cycle of who is benefiting the most from sex workers' bodies. Mm. And much like the arranged marriage scenes, there are winners and there are losers. Because dos caprichos <laughs> later in Cuala Descañonan, How They Pluck Her, the young bosomy bird bait is once again illuminated in an otherwise dark composition. Mm. This time, she is being plucked and feasted upon. By, by catamorphs this time. <laughs> they're all cats. Yes. Half cat. They just got, they're they are half, like, right? mid, yeah, they are, mid, they're more like a traditional animorphs. <laughs> okay. So yes, they are human-like cats representing the noble mm. Spanish law enforcement. Nice, nice, nice. So one of the cats <laughs> stands tall and proud of the work that he has accomplished, feasting upon the most vulnerable. And note who is not pictured here. The madame has also fleeced mm-hmm. this lady birdomorph. It would be like so easy to make general moralizing statements. Mm-hmm. But Goya shows the systemic cycle that has led to these problems in the first place. Right. Capricho number 32, Por qué fue sensible? Because she was susceptible, is less violent, but more impactful. Mm. Okay, this ladybird has un... Unamorphed, yeah. She's unamorphed. Un- yes, yeah. unamorphed. <laughs> she's, a hu- she's fully human. Yes. She didn't get stuck as the... In, be- in the in between. Oh, it would have been worse though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so she is fully human, alone in jail, fiddling with her dress, illuminated by mm-hmm. a single lamp in full aquatint wow. glory as her finite life passes her by. It's a very sad scene. It really, it really is. is. Yeah. It's also the texture on the lamp there just like lends something to it too. Kind of like time passing by, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, sorry. I just imagine a lot of like dead bugs in there. <laughs> well, it's also the most detailed part of the composition, right, I think, right. too. That's a good point. Which makes it stand out. It's also the most unique capricho because it's the only work that was not etched. It's all aqua tint. Oh, God. Me- meaning, meaning that there are no lines like in a typical drawing, just just positive, negative, and positive shapes with that, that beautiful aqua. Aqu- aqua tinted gradient. They are very hungry, yes, Stephanie. Yes, they are. They're very. I don't. Uh, yep. what, who are you calling? I'm calling our friends at Hello Print Friend, the experts <laughs> on aqua tint. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> Let's go to the art size pantry. Let's go. Vamanos. Hello there. I'm Reynaldo. And I'm Miranda. And we're hosts of the Hello Print Friend podcast, a bilingual bi-weekly podcast that brings you interviews from the world of printmaking. 
I'm an art historian. And I am a printmaker. And we're here to introduce you to the exciting world of Aquatint. I'll get a little bit into the medium's history, and then Ronaldo will tell you how it's done. As it relates to printmaking, etching came about in 16th century Germany and was initially used to create elaborate decorations by goldsmiths and other metal workers. The earliest dating etching as a work of art is by Albrecht Dürer, and it's from 1515. Before the invention of Aquatint, artists could only use linear marks to create tonality in their etchings. This means that to create gradations or shadows, artists would draw lines more closely together or use cross-hatching. Aquatin allowed artists to make a near-infinite variety of tonal flats, more than 50 shades of gray, if you will. The name comes from the Italian aquatinta, which literally translates to dyed water. This is because the effect of the finished print reminded artists of the tones found in watercolor washes. While artists in the Low Countries were experimenting with various forms of aquatint since 1650, it wasn't until the mid-19th century that the technique caught on and began to spread across Europe from Sweden to France and beyond. Once color printing was developed, artists would create multi-plate etchings in which the tonal aquatint plates were used to add color to the composition. Notable artists who expertly utilized aquatint included Edouard Monet, Mary Cassatt, and of course, Francisco Goya. So that's a brief history of aquatint. But how does it work? Ronaldo? The aquatint is a way to develop tones as an alternative to the laborious process of mesotin, where you use a rocker, make thousands of tiny holes in copper to create velvety tones, because who has time for that? This is one of those techniques I didn't learn in school. I had to follow books and make tons of mistakes to be able to teach it. Aquatint always scared the crap out of me. So after my friend Lars Roder came to town during Spokane Print Fest and showed me the ropes, I was able to finally make it work. So thanks, Lars. The trick is to protect the areas you want to keep lighter or white safe and strategically expose the ones that you want to make darker. Then you can see the aquatine process as a cooking show recipe. You start by degreasing the plate using soy sauce and magnesium carbonate. Then you sprinkle this white dust called rosin. Make sure not to have it on clear plastic bags when you travel abroad. It might look a little bit suspicious. Once you spread it all over the plate uniformly, you will heat the plate, melting the dust. This is going to protect the plate. And once you put it into the acid, in a matter of seconds, the exposed areas will be beaten and you will have little deposits for the ink to stay. The longer that you leave it in, the darker it gets. Just be careful not to leave it swimming for too long. You can continue using Stopow, which can be acrylic or a mix of rosin with alcohol, which you can apply with a brush in the areas that you want to stop getting darker. Little by little, like a reductive process, you will block areas until you get the desired darks in your piece. Once you're done creating your tones, you can clean the stop out with mineral spirits. Then you can push ink into the plate, wipe the excess with a cheesecloth-like tarlatan, put it into the press and print it. If you find playing with rosin too complicated, you can always do the ghetto version of it using a chew box and spray paint. Place your box on the side with the opening towards you. Place your plate inside the box at a 75 degree angle. Spray the plate uniformly, avoiding putting too much. You will know when you put too much. Once it dries, you can follow the previous steps of using selective stop out and placing the plate in the acid bath. This is one process that requires a lot of finesse and is depending on variables such as having the strong acid and timing. Frustration will be your best friend. So good luck. Stephanie, Russell. our little Pantremont babies have been satiated once again. Thanks mostly to Hello Print Friends. Pretty and, much. And basically takeout. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes you're busy and you got to get takeout. Offer code Art Slice Pod at Hello Print friends no that's that's not okay thank you thank you thank you thank you (laughs) go follow them and listen to their podcast real talk i love their content yeah it blows my mind yeah all right 
profit, but spelled like profit, Goya saved his most cutting criticisms for the worst societal ill. In number 53, mm. Que Pico de Oro, mm. What's a Golden Beak, we see a clergy community mm. clasping their hands. Sockening their jaws yeah. in, ho- in holy awe. Holy awe, yes. Yeah. From the words spoken by their anointed speaker, mm. a literal parrot. Literal, yeah. Parroting and perpetuating a seminary message. And just several prints earlier in Capriccio number 46, Correction, mm. correction we see the composition flipped. <laughs> with members gathering and clasping their hands, readying their notebooks, mm. ready to record the holy words of their own speaker. The congregation here is a mixture of winged goblins, witches. <laughs> noble devils but they're all kind of dressed in their in their sunday finest mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. looking good they're fit yeah. they're fits good <laughs> Goya uses demons and the clergy kind of interchangeably throughout the series. In Capriccio numero 49 directed by Rick Sloan, <laughs> a hobgoblin friar has a giant hand for like tithe scooping, scooping up that tithe. <laughs> and if the analogy Goya was drawing wasn't clear, in Capriccio number 52, we're startled by this shadowy cloaked friar figure <laughs> holding its arms wide. Yeah. Like a scarecrow or a Halloween inflatable. Right. A young woman covered in a mantilla falls to her knees along with the mm. crowd in the background. Their fear <laughs> is palpable. Mm. Oh, 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 but what's that? What's, what's that? that? What is that? Hidden in the distance, mm. you can see the faint outlines of wingless old ass, ass. putties. <laughs> Diablo putis yeah. with the furry demon faces. Yeah, and smooth nude bodies, <laughs> yeah. nude, like and floating on a, an owl, bare, bare, cro- bare crotched. Who who is not wearing pants? Who who is not wearing pants? I can feel that. Oh. I may be near, uh, far-sighted, but I can certainly feel that. Who who? <laughs> Ew. If you didn't catch the twist, listeners, the title, Lo que puede un sastre, what Mm. a tailor can do, gives it away. Mm. Poking out of the sleeves of this holy figure's robe are tree branches. Okay. This is a tree dressed in clergy apparel. If you think about it, Stephanie, though, instead of like soft straw, we have a hard gnarled tree here. (laughs) Instead of floating brilliantly and weightlessly... Throughout the sky, mm-hmm. this tree is rooted in the earth. Right. So you kind of see where I'm going with this. Yeah. This is a, this is a bizarro pulele. <laughs> this is the opposite of pulele. Okay. It's a reincarnation. It's a bad pulele. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Pule- yeah. Not the not the oh. not the good pulele. This is bad pulele. Hobgoblin. Yeah. Pulele. Okay. Right. <laughs> anyway, Goya did not believe in the in the sanctity of the church. Right. But by and large, the Spanish public did. And he does a really good job here of sidestepping any sacrilege that could have gotten him into hot water. And instead, he focuses his shots at the corruption of the church. Right. <laughs> he is shining a light on the roots oh, of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> the, the dark palele roots. The church held that superstition and, and, and fear and guilt and all that stuff over the public. And it, what it did was it diverted the attention away from the real systemic problems and put it on the individual. And he's showing who, who is pulling the levers, right? To, to benefit themselves. The more bright the light shines, the deeper the roots go, <laughs> yeah. and the more overwhelming this whole capricho world seems. 
Which brings us to not the final capricho, but our final capricho. <laughs> and this is probably one you already know. Number 43, we have an artist, mm. non-monkey Goya himself, asleep <laughs> at his drawing table, which looks really uncomfortable. Right, like right. he was so tired, he slouched over his desk and fell asleep. Especially at his age. It's not going to be good. Well, I say it, but right. I think we've all been there. Right. <laughs> it's like finding college, but... Oh, right. Right. <laughs> So he is burying his face in his hands, hiding from the owls, bats, and black cats surrounding him at his table, while more are just rushing in from a distance. Mm. Some of the owls are lifting his drawings to have have a look-see, or they could actually be infinitely spawning from them. Luckily, there is, though, a good omen, a lynx cat watching stoically with total clarity, but also kind of bug-eyed. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. So, you know, maybe he's a thing about uh, politely. The composition <laughs> is it's just like controlled chaos. The etched lines cast motion and shadow in all these different directions. And by looking at this, it, we feel like we're about to be swarmed too. Owls, bats, and black cats in Spanish folk tradition symbolize mystery, evil, and even death. Mm. And the title, unlike the other caprichos, is etched within the print. It's the only one like that in the entire right. series. Right. So it's not on the outside of the plate's border, but on the drawing table that the artist's head rests on. And it states, el sueño de la razón produce monstruos. Mm. Or, the sleep of reason produces monsters. Being that this is the most clearly illustrated and clearly stated capricho, it's become the anthem for the entire series, and that was that was by design. It was originally intended to be the first capriccio in the original sketches for the series. So if we look at Goya's like sketches and, and his planning for the series, every basically all the capriccios were tinkered with and changed from sketch to final prints. The Sleep of Reason, though, went through so many changes until it was exactly what Goya wanted to convey. The original title was Idioma Universal, El Autor Soñando, mm. or... Universal language, the author dreaming. And Goya had like a long and an overly romantic subtitle, like <laughs> the artist vanquishes irrationality to shine the light on truth or something. <laughs> like I'm paraphrasing, but that's mm-hmm. kind of the gist. Basically. Most of the caprichos were initially labeled sueño or dream, but the dreams themselves are not necessarily literal. Mm. And they could be an analogy that he borrowed from his favorite enlightenment hip periodical, El Diario de Madrid, okay, is the same journal that he placed his first and only advertisement for Los Caprichos. And he also placed a personal asking for the return of his lost golden snuff box. Oh, sad. (laughs) Snooze box. Snooze box. Remember snooze? Okay. The Enlightenment mag had dream-based stories like Isaac Newton's geometry turning all weird and and insane and irrational. Or like a wise old man looking at his fellow citizens through spectacular glasses, which revealed the truth beyond their facade. Very Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. The wise old man uh, felt superior to his fellow citizens until he turned the looking glass upon himself. And you get to fill in the gaps here because he just wakes up screaming. No way. He saw the same disgusting grossness that he saw in his fellow countrymen. (laughs) The monster lives inside of him, too. Right. I'm His is a different monster. Right. Okay. Okay. J- Joe Maho over there, he might <laughs> indulge in too much bathtub sangria. Right. But right. wise old man over here, he indulges in too much. He he likes to read too many works of fiction. Okay. And sometimes ignores his family. Joe Maho will gaze at his reflection <laughs> in the bathtub sangria. <laughs> I'm just picturing like wavy lines, wavy red lines. Joe, 
How you doing, buddy? Joe, is this what the life you wanted, Joe? <laughs> Just the life you wanted? You lost the kids? <laughs> so while we read The Sleep of Reason produces monsters as something along the lines of without reason, evil will exist. You have to wonder if Goya was also grappling with the last few years of his own trauma. In another early iteration, Goya's own face is found in various stages of hysteria, <laughs> woven throughout the clusters of bats, owls, and cats. <laughs> no, that's great. I, lo- I love these. Uh, actually, like all these different versions, one has like the ch- the chubby owls, <laughs> and this one has the horrified scream face oh, thing. Horrifying. There's a good reason this is the image Goya is most well known for. Mm-hmm. We don't have to know his story at all. It- it's this like universal human experience. If you've ever had like a bad dream, you've been stuck in. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had like a panic attack or anxieties that were just running wild. Or if you've like even experienced just like all these thoughts in this like crushing vacuum of silence, you, you've been here. Stephanie, we're here. We're at the Art Slice Museum okay, but on top of the Art Slice Hilltop, surrounded by the candy and condom moat. Okay. Mm-hmm. It seems like we've been gone. Actually, maybe we should cut the video feed for a little bit so the listeners can envision it. Okay. Because it doesn't good. look like we're in the Art Slice Museum, even though we are. Correct. We're in the basement of the Art Slice <laughs> Museum. But it seems like we've been gone for a couple of seasons, and that's because we definitely have. No, we weren't. And gone. last we left, I think it was it was fall. Right. Mm-hmm. And the leaves were, t- they were turning a be- beautiful shades of different colors. Yes. All sorts of colors, not, not just the, the normal colors. Correct. Yeah. All sorts of colors. Okay. Well, we, we weren't finished yet with the sleep of Spirit reason. Spirit Frankie <laughs> is napping in our, in our free Aww. nap pods. Okay. okay? Uh, <laughs> hanging out amongst the, uh, the native flower gardens. Okay. That's, that's lovely. Right. Right. What were you saying? But we weren't, we weren't finished. And, with we have the... to decide <laughs> if, uh, if Los Caprichos here. Yeah. Can can come with us, can stay in the Art Slice Museum with us, mm-hmm, right. with us, and all all of our other art that we've collected. Look, it's it's, it's just it seems like a natural breaking point. Okay, I, know, I knew I knew you weren't done. In the final version of Los Caprichos, Goya can't help but to expand upon the title of the Sleep of Reason. Quote: La fantasía abandonada de la razón produce monstruos imposibles. Sí. Unida con ella. Sí, sí. Es madre de la. <laughs> In Las Escuelas. <laughs> Unida con ella es madre de las artes y origen de sus maravillas. Mm. Okay. Okay. Imagination, abandoned by reason, produces impossible monsters. Okay. United with her, she is the mother of the arts and the source of their wonders. Oh, beautiful. End beautiful. quote. Yes, lovely. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a beautiful statement, Stephanie, because art, that art is an equilibrium. If, if you think about it, art is really an equilibrium of, of, of chaos and order and pushing your imagination far enough to to invoke something that is unexpected. Mm-hmm. Right. But it does seem it does seem like this was tacked on later <laughs> a little bit. to obscure the meaning <laughs> just enough, just in case it, it wound up in the hands of, of uh, the Spanish Inquisition. 
so Goy could just be like, no, no, it's uh, it's about it's about just basically everything I said there. It's about balance and equilibrium. Nah, nah, nah. Okay, so <laughs> I I think it's both. Yeah. Um, it does seem like he may have tried to keep this on the down low, okay. right? By only advertising in El Diario sure. de Madrid. Sure. So he only printed 30 copies, right? Mm. Maybe because he almost went broke just printing that amount. Well, yeah, yeah, and 30 copies of 80 prints back then, that's, that's, a, that's a fucking lot. I mean, lot. even today, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a fucking <laughs> lot. He's doing those by hand, you know? Right. Right. In the 1800s. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, so maybe he was thinking that they could be more popular and maybe mm. he would make more, but only a few sold and really only to diehard fans, <laughs> including Venetian Rococo painter Tiepolo, okay. but also the Duchess of Osuna. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But Suit, copy. Correct. Yeah. And not an, right. So not a right, complete one. Right. Um, <laughs> but soon after releasing them, Goya pulled them from the shelves okay. of the uh, perfume slash liquor store. Okay. So they got a little, <laughs> they got a little stank on them. They got a, a, me- a medley of smells, we'll call it. Medley. Okay. I mean, so you can see his obsession and dedication in just how well crafted these works are, how detailed and thought out they are, mm-hmm. how they went through all these different changes. Mm-hmm. But you could also feel him wrestling with the anxiety of them just existing. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> like, he surely would have known the risk of getting caught with these, right. making these. Right. Especially in such a turbulent time. Correct. You know? <laughs> he did a little uh, might delete later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he drew the king as a fucking donkey, donkey while he was still working for the king. You know what I mean? Right. So he knew they were fucking dangerous. Right. He knew he was towing the line for sure. It's not uh, like he was some uh, small time artist. Yeah. Right. right? He's Goya, bitch. Sure. I'm the only one! He must have felt very strongly about them. He, I mean, they they just feel like it's it's art that's bursting at the seams. It's yes. just coming out. Like the little artworms that have been aerating his, his little <laughs> fertile soil body are just popping their heads up. So despite the content of these works, I do enjoy them. And okay. I really have mad respect for the medium because I took a class in etching mm. and aquatint. Okay. <laughs> And like our friends at Hello Print Friend described, you have to work backwards and you have to be precise because there is no going back. Mm. And I appreciate Goya using his privilege to speak out against the atrocities in one of the only ways that he could, even if he ultimately removed them from circulation. (laughs) The owls reminded me of an old myth my grandma told me when I was a kid. Mm. We would watch TV novelas at night and one time we heard an owl hooting. And she said... When you hear a tecolote, which to Goya would have been a buo, mm. but she said, when you hear one, they are predicting someone's death. Uh-oh. Okay, which is a superstition that actually goes all the way back. <laughs> Did she to... say like a child's death? A naughty child who didn't do the dishes? <laughs> well, well, right. Like whose death, right? right Mine? Right. Me? Little Steffi? Or someone in the TV novela? God forbid. God forbid. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So... These works make me think, though, of all of the unnecessary violence mm-hmm. that any being, uh, human or animal, can experience because of superstition. Right. In some parts of Mexico, still to this day, owls are killed on the spot for being harbingers of death. Or Jeff, yeah. Or Jeff. <laughs> Stylistically, <laughs> I, I, I love these works, right? I love yeah. all the nuanced detail. Yes. Compositionally, I think like every illustrator, painter, animator, any mm-hmm. any artist yes. like needs to study his ability to tell a layered story. Yes. 
And it's not just in Los Caprichos, but obviously that is one of his best examples because it spans these 80 prints, right? right. Look, I'm not I'm used to having more <laughs> space here. I'm sorry. I talk with my hands a lot. <laughs> and you can you can read these on so many different levels and land at the same conclusion, mm-hmm. which is what I really like about these works. Mm-hmm. And he makes that seem effortless. But we, we know by looking at all the labor he went through to get these exactly right that you know, the, all those iterations were important and he really thought about this work, but it, se- it seems like seamless. It seems seamless. I mean, I don't. And so, <laughs> so there's this question of like, is Goya an enlightenment artist? Is he a romantic artist? Is mm-hmm. he, or even like proto-surrealist as we saw like Alfred H. Barr mm-hmm. curating him into that surrealist show. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like he, he's, um, he's all of those, but he's also none of those at the same time. Like he, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're correct. He is Goya bitch. I'm the only one! You know? <laughs> <laughs> but where this work like really hits for me is how you can't help but see our present or our future in these works still today. All of the characters in Los Caprichos are still with us right, today. Right. Uh, yeah, we're living still in this like faux enlightenment shadow, right? <laughs> like the enlightenment, I don't think ever fully arrived. No. And today's version of, the, of this like faux enlightenment would have frustrated Goya just as much, I yes. think. Like, you could make all the Caprichos today, and it would just be, like, the people, like, w- the characters would be the f- the fucking founders of PayPal or something. Right. Those two. <laughs> I mean, there are think pieces out there right now literally claiming that we can trade in our authority to reason to artificial intelligence. Like, AI, mind you, is, like, the, the golden parrot in those Caprichos, right? It, it, it's a golden parrot code. Monks are admiring the words of a parrot preaching from a pulpit. Created by human hands. It is not artificial or intelligent. It was made with real-life contracts. It's held on servers in in physical, digital warehouses with data created by human labor or by scanning, like, places that are already incredibly biased, like uh, corporate-funded think pieces <laughs> or just like not representative of the population at all because like the people that are on the internet are, are mostly white and those are the circles that we're pulling that information from mm-hmm. don't get me wrong like ai could be really incredible but it's just not it's not being used in that way the same way the enlightenment was not used in a way that would actually benefit the people right so say what you will about like the lower class Eurobilly mahos <laughs> But they at least questioned what iteration of the Enlightenment they were given because they right. didn't ask for it. Right. Much like we did not ask for AI to steal our artwork, you know. <laughs> they questioned what the intent was truly and who was benefiting from it. In their case, Gad- Godoy or whatever his face was. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Goya, you know, it, it almost seems like at times I'm like, I wish he would have taken a lighter hand to the Spanish people. But he also showed, he did show that the structure was dysfunctional. Right. And the structure was the reason for it. Mm-hmm. This iteration of the Enlightenment w- was doomed because perpetuated by kings and, and duchesses, 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 <laughs> you know, w- would have always bent upwards anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it always would have gone back to the people in power because in order for true change to happen... People have to give up their power, right. and they're not going to, no. even if they believe in this system. Goya is living in a time where Spain is on the verge of getting even worse, and you can feel that panic in these works. What was about to happen to Spain would have, would even affect it like for for generations. Like its instability would be the reason that Varro fled Spain and why Picasso created Guernica. 
Well said. And we actually have a lot more to say about this, but we uh, cut it down. Uh, So we will actually have a wrap-up episode on our Patreon very, very soon. Patreon.com slash pod. Right. But Stephanie, so we finally have to decide, are we introducing Los Caprichos to the Art Slice Museum? It is widely considered to be one of the greatest works of art in the 18th century and continues to be widely studied and admired today. As a result, many museums around the world have included Los Capriccios in their collections. The series place in art history as well as its cultural and historical By Soft and Furious from the album Late Metamorphosis, which is another one of hundreds of brilliant works by Rose of Loyalty Freak Music. Listen to it on Bandcamp or Spotify. We will link them in the show notes. And a huge thank you to Hello Print Friend Podcast for being our first pantry guests. Check out their podcast for all things printmaking or follow them on Instagram at Hello Print Friend. And be sure to watch their amazing print tutorials. Don't forget to let us know what you thought about the work. Share the show with a friend. Actually, actually, yes, please do that because uh, we're on YouTube now and we could use the extra love on there. It's It's slow going over there. And support us by joining our small but excellent group of patrons at patreon.com slash artslicepod. We will be back with a color episode very soon. And don't forget, your kid could not have aqua tinted back.